Moving over to our new theme and posturing ourselves in a different way. It's called Voices Rise Up. And so the theme that we wanted to cover for this particular month is as we're coming out of a COVID space somewhat, we might have the instinct to just look to ourselves. And so we've positioned this month, this series here, to remind us of the DNA of new community, that as we come out of COVID, that we won't just look for ourselves, that we look outwardly and we listen to God's heart again, not just for ourselves, but for the community around about us. So we've titled this Voices Rise Up, and what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks is interviewing someone from our own community, new community, who has a particular interest, a particular focus in their own lives on one of the following four things. So we've got um, climate matters, we've got aid matters, we've got resource matters, and today what we want to focus on is indigenous matters. And for that, we've invited Pete Bergmeier. Peter Bergmeier, he works with Australians together. We're going to interview him in a short time. And he's going to talk to us and unpack some really important things about understanding the nature of Indigenous matters here in Australia. But before I do, because I know that we've done this once before in our community, and I thought that the really helpful thing for us would be to just be able to posture ourselves in a different way. You know, whenever we raise any of these matters, there's a whole bunch of complexities and we want to jump to conclusions and raise questions very quickly. So what I would invite us to do over this next month is to posture ourselves with a listening attitude and then posture ourselves with an invitational attitude. A listening attitude to the voice of those that we're hearing from and an invitational attitude to God to say, God, what do you want to speak to me about? What do you want to reframe and reposition in my life as a follower of yours. And so I'd invite us to do that as we move into this indigenous space. And I think it would be quite in keeping for us to pause for a moment and to acknowledge the land that we have been meeting on did not first belong to us. It doesn't belong to us. And so I'd like to do an acknowledgement in a formal way of acknowledging the land that we have worshipped on the last 18 years and the people who were the first custodians of that. And as I was listening to and reading something from a Wurundjeri elder, Joy Murphy Wandon, she writes this about acknowledgements to country um, and welcome to country. She says this, welcome to country and acknowledgement of country are very important ways of giving Aboriginal people back their place in society. It's paying respect in a formal sense and following traditional custom in a symbolic way. So in keeping it with that tenor, what I'd like to do is pause for a moment and I'd like us to acknowledge this land and the people who are the custodians of it. So I'd like to acknowledge that this meeting is being held on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Coulomb Nation and I pay my respect to the elders, both past, present and future. And to lead us into this space, we invited Ali to pray that our hearts for being mercy givers and justice bringers might be refreshed. Have a listen. As we think about this topic, it's good to stop and pray to talk to God. So please join with me, or if you're not comfortable with that, just listening, that'd be great. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of justice, that you are more passionate about justice than we will ever be. We thank you that you see this broken world, this hurting world, and you um, long to bring healing and mending and justice to it. And 
um, God as we think about this topic um, we want to be available to you so we ask you that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit that we will have your heart for people that we will love with compassion and treating people with dignity we ask that you will give us eyes to see where there is a need and if we're able that we will be able to meet that need we pray that you'll strengthen our hands strengthen our knees, our legs, that we'll be able to serve you. Help us to listen well as you listen well, that we will hear the cries of people's heart and we'll be able to respond. God, we need you. We want to be voices that rise up. We want to make a difference for justice in this world. And so help us, please. Amen. We're so glad we're talking about this theme, uh, Voices Rise Up. Uh, what we're wanting to do is spend four weeks talking about this theme of justice in the Bible. And how we want to address that is by looking at four different issues, four different particular injustices that we see. And we have Peter Bergmeier here with us this morning. He's one of our own. And uh, the particular theme that we're talking about today, as the um, the great intro just uh, sort of opened up for us, is Indigenous Australians. And so, Peter, can you tell us, welcome, Thank could you. you tell us uh, this morning, what's your connection with uh, Indigenous Australians? What's the work you're doing? Um, how are you connected to this theme? Thanks, Troy. Um, look, I'm, for the last 10 years, I've been working with Australians together. And we started out uh, with really not quite knowing what we were in for, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Um, but we knew that this, this, this story in our nation is not well told. Yeah. It's not well known. And so we, we went, how can we get this story known? Um, we've done a lot of work with uh, churches. Um, we've done some stuff here at um, uh, New Community. Uh, and at the moment, we're working primarily in schools to upskill teachers to be able to teach Indigenous perspectives in the classroom. There's another project that I'm, I'm uh, deeply involved with, which is uh, leadership development. Um, we, we work with a, a bunch of Christian Indigenous leaders in, uh, in looking at what it means to be authentically Aboriginal and truly Christian. And that's, uh, at the moment, a one-year course. We're piloting a second-year course uh, next year with the aim of... Um, helping Indigenous leaders implement community-led projects in their communities. Fantastic. And I believe that's taken you all throughout Australia or there's particular places that you go? Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we work with a bunch of um, people from all over, but we do a bit of a, bit of a pilgrimage, if you like. Um, we, we, we go and visit elders in communities down in South Australia, uh, Central Desert and on the, on the East Coast um, to, to learn in those different environments... Yeah. Of of, uh, of examples of leadership, fantastic. And I know that as we've shared over the years too, uh, you'll call me from different places, and I'm like, wow, you know, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> or you'll take some of the photographs that you take because you're a photographer as well, and you post them up, and I'm like, where is that? That's amazing. So you're getting exposed to all different places that the average person living in Australia wouldn't be exposed yeah, to. Yeah. Uh, I remember the last time we had a, a four-week real focus on Indigenous Australians. The, one of the things I appreciated about what you were doing and the posture you invited us to adopt as a church family was to listen, have a posture of listening. And I think that would be really helpful for us to reconsider that again for this series. Um, mm. a, a listening posture so we don't jump to conclusions before we've actually heard what the people are going to say. 
And the second thing that I'd invite us to do as a church community is to be able to listen and posture ourselves to hear the voice of God about what is justice and particularly what are the injustices. So how about we just, if we can adopt that posture, let's just launch straight in. What do you see, Peter, as being the injustice here when it comes to Indigenous Australians? Yeah. Um, I just want to state first, I'm, I'm not an Indigenous person and I'm not talking on behalf of Aboriginal people in this okay. in this in this place. So, um, what I do talk about is uh, things I've learnt from Indigenous people on part of my journey. So it's it's important to get that get that up front. Um, in in very simple terms, this injustice that we're talking about is the effects of colonisation in Australia. That's just the big overarching term. Um, what's what's really helpful is um, I've, I've spent a lot of time with uh, Uncle Graham, Uncle Graham Paulson, a uh, um, fantastic guy who's, who's really nurtured and mentored me. I just want to show you a very short clip of um, Uncle Graham and how he describes the effects of colonisation on his life. So just a short clip, we'll, we'll head to it now. So what, what we've heard Uncle Graham say there is in his the way he's able to describe this injustice is the enormous hurt, the disorientation, the losing land, identity, goal and purpose in life. And he describes this disquiet and dysfunction that he couldn't explain. So that's, that's I guess, the, the summary of what we're talking about now. Uh, those words you use, it's easy to just mention them, but what each of those words represents is a few hundred years of repetitive pain, suffering, heartache, yeah. related to all of these. So just acknowledge whilst we're hearing them, yeah. uh, if it's not been our lived experience, we're sitting in a different position. Yeah. How did we get here? Yeah, so that's a that's a long story, but if I can just touch on a... Uh, perhaps frame it up in a way very briefly for us. Um, this big long story, you know, 60, 50, 65, 60,000 years of um, history in this, in this land, the last 250 years of colonisation in this place is like a, a less than a half a percent of an Indigenous story in the place. So it's a, in, the, in the big scheme of things, it's just a little, the, the end bit that, that's really impactful in the story. Um, so imagine all that time of developing ways of living in harmony with the land, with, with the groups around you, you're developing your, your practices, your cultural stories of how to interpret the world, the way you interact, your ceremonies, all that sort of stuff, and then just in this this last bit, bang, everything changed completely for Indigenous people. Um, you were told that the land's empty. It's, it's available for others to come and take. Your special places were destroyed. Rio Tinto knows all about that. Um, your special ceremonies were misunderstood and perhaps classed as... Um, illegal in some places. Your, your language, this critical piece of your, your central to your identity was deemed you can't talk that language now. That, that's, that's illegal. 
um, your values and your principles, the, the way you understand and interact with the world was, um, was overtaken by, by a foreign way of thinking. Mm. Mm. And, and your people, your, your special ones, your mothers, fathers, kids, were, um, they die from new diseases or they're removed and sent to live elsewhere because perhaps their skin colour was uh, influenced by different coloured skinned parents and, uh, or, or just blatantly murdered. You know, people were murdered. Um, and this isn't like out there. This is just, just across there. You know, there's, there's a story of Corandirk in this place, you know. Now, if you can imagine... Our Corandirk, just the Corandirk, just out Hillsville yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, imagine if, if, if these kind of things happened to us today, if, mm. if a foreign power came over and imposed those things on our, on our ceremonies, language, our, our beliefs and values, our people, and our special places. These, these kind of traumatic events weren't just to a generation. They were passed on, the effects of that, was passed on through generation to generation to generation. So this this system is 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 unjust, and the the insidious thing about it is it's it's set up to privilege folks like us, um, white male people living in the eastern suburbs of Australia. <coughs> Sorry, Melbourne. Um, when we look at our, our, our histories, uh, and I'll, I'll personalise this, my ancestors were, were given land down on Western Port Bay if they could clear it and, in effect, pushed off Indigenous people. Um, on another side of my family, uh, in, the, in the CBD in Melbourne, you know, they owned land there. Now, that, that flow-on effect of having land... And, and ownership sets up families to do well. Yeah. We're not talking about um, extreme um, wealth. We're talking about just setting up to be secure mm. and able to, to cope with, with society. And that's something I, I didn't ask for, but it's something I've inherited. Um, for many Indigenous people, like Uncle Graham said, the... The, the disquiet that comes through in not understanding, it means they've got to navigate this, this history, learn how to deal with it, and navigate a system that's not designed for them. Mm. So again, we have this unjust situation of one group of people benefiting from the past injustices and another group of people having to navigate this injustice and perhaps not being set up to do well because of that. I think they've said even with this COVID pandemic yep. right now, it's divided the gap between the haves and the have-nots, those who yep. have the resources to respond and those who don't. Yeah. Um, strikes me this is one of a far greater magnitude. And I've watched some of the little YouTube clips going around, Peter, where uh, this is made sort of um, clear that there's this thing called white privilege yeah. and I must admit I re watch those things and go well I can't help that I was born in in Melbourne or somewhere near the eastern northern eastern suburbs 
and uh, are living on this land. I didn't perpetuate these things. You know, what do I do? Is is that something I should just feel bad about forever? Um, <clears throat> and so, how would you respond to that? Yeah. So whether whether you call it white privilege or whatever, I think what what people are scared of is um, that they might that people might think they're they're racist. And let's just put it out there. Most people are racist. It's working out what your racism looks like and how it expresses itself and going, oh, that's got to stop. So let's just get on the table. Nearly everyone has racism in their mindset at some point. And what do you mean by that? <clears throat> it means when you're driving, you might, uh, you might look at certain drivers and go, oh, it's one of those. Okay. Okay. based on race. Okay. Yeah. It might be the simple reaction you have. Like, like I've, I've been in shops with, with Indigenous people. I walk around and just grab stuff and I look over at the shopkeeper and who are they looking at? Yeah. They're not looking at me. Yeah. They're looking at my black friend going, I wonder what they're going to steal. Yeah. Whether it's overt or not, there's that sideways glance yeah. and I look at, the, <laughs> look at the shopkeeper looking and go... Yeah, this is not right. So we should be jumping on that the, the collectivism or the stereotyping that if even if this uh, has been the situation that I've had some experience with, not to take that and then place it upon all people everywhere. Yeah, yes, yeah. But if I can just jump back to the um, that that um, privilege discussion. Yeah. Um, you're absolutely right. People don't choose to inherit privilege and that's no one's fault what we are challenged to do is what we do about that so um, I'll personalize this for me I've been I've inherited an education and a a stable um, childhood and and grown up with with a certain uh, view of the world that means I'm able to interact with it and succeed what do I do about that do I use my my uh, my upbringing to build wealth for myself and my family or do I use it to go hey I could be involved in a in a leadership program or in educating others about injustice so that it will diminish and I think this is where we're going to pick up some of the theme when I, I chat in a short while about yeah. what God's justice look like is that what you're suggesting there is that using the resources and maybe the privilege that I do have to say it's not just for me. That's one of the things we want to get through is that for justice to be just us, it's not just us, it's all of us. Um, But I'll jump there in a a little while, but I think that's that's really critical. Why is this personal to you, Peter? Yeah, look, simply put, if you hang out with people who become your friends, what matters to them begins to matter to me. So um, Uncle Graham's wife, Arnie Iris, you know, she, she, was, um, she was made to go and work for the white fella as a, as a, as a young teenage girl. Um, and, and they said they were going to pay her. And when it came time to collect a number of years later, they went, oh, actually that money the government was collecting on your behalf, we actually spent it somewhere else. 
And only now are they, is, that, is that scheme starting, the money starting to come back like 50 years later. That's, that's incredible. I think of um, the old, old fella from the, the central desert who I've sat with on occasion and, and the grace he has, he has shown me in sharing stories about you know, the, the time he, he first met a white person like in the community you know um, and and the day the, the the referendum came through which meant he could then go and drink at the, the canteen which is the pub like everyone else and and, and feel like a real person in the community mm. which he then became an alcoholic you know um, the, these kind of stories they impact you deeply when when you hang out with people that have these stories that that that's that's probably the the main reason what why this matters because i've I've been so personally um personally impacted yeah and i've seen it for you and i know for your family to have connections with individuals that continue on to this day and their deep friendships and that's yeah it's been lovely to see one one of the one of the things that uh that happens is start hanging out with mob and they go oh you should should come visit they don't they don't mean that white fella oh we'll catch up later they don't mean that they mean come and stay at my my place and so as as a white fella in the early days i'm going do they really mean that but yeah they do (laughs) so i went oh let's let's go and stay at their place (laughs) it's kind of uncomfortable at the start yeah but the the openness and the you can come and be part of our family yeah. is it's quite incredible yeah. because you're then introduced to country and place and story and culture um, uh, from the, the people who've been here the longest, who've inherited those, those stories and understandings about the place that, that very happy to pass on if you come with the right posture. Yeah. You mean that we could learn from Indigenous people? We could learn quite a lot from Indigenous people, <laughs> yes. Hey, um, how have you been seeking to redress this? Both personally, I think it starts with, as you've just said there, it starts with a relationship. Absolutely. Yep. Nothing grounds any of this justice, injustice, things quite like a relationship. Mm. Uh, but then how have you sought to redress it in a broader sense and also with Australians together? I'd love to hear that. Yeah, so first thing is... At, at Australians Together, we we seek to be a, a learning group of people. Okay, um, it's so critical. You know, we've never made it. There's always something else to discover, and and most of it's about ourselves. We've got to be open to learning more and more and listening. You've got to be listening. So that, that's how we try and posture ourselves. Number one, um, and the second one is is trying to get this story embedded into the next generation okay we're taking the long game and going what if the young kids of today who will become the lawyers teachers um shop attendants people working at the service station what if they could understand the story of this place and let that influence the way they interact with our first nations people instead of the media stereotypical stuff that you and I have grown up with. Gotcha. Yeah. Empowering. 
Yeah, it's 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 the long game, and it's not it's not the only answer. It's just okay. the lane that we've decided to swim yeah. in for this moment. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I can see that some of the educational material that you're actually placing then into schools actually helps this conversation to continue because unlike you and I, when we did our history, none of this was there. So for many of us, it's just it's a first take, and that yeah. will need a, a lot more time. So for our, our young people to hear those stories from whatever perspective they're coming from. It's just critical. Yeah. Well, well done. Yeah. Um, uh, what have you been learning about yourself? What have you been learning about God? What have you been learning about others? Just a really simple question to finish things off, Peter. Yeah, yeah. Look, my... my what have I been learning? It's, it's the way I'm seeing myself as a, as, a, as a person created in God's image and my place in the landscape now that kind of sounds a bit weird but it's it's interacting with the the genesis story from an australian perspective from from a perspective based on who i am in on on the land as as introduced through my indigenous friends and my response to that really grounds you in who you are and where you fit which is why my story is so important yeah and is why it's understanding our nation's story is so important. Yeah. Because that then means I'm I'm grounded. I'm yes. I'm, in, I'm embedded in the place, and I and my belonging starts to fit. And if you are a person who your identity is becoming stronger, and your belonging is set, you're far more able to interact with others from a place of security and and well-being, as opposed to this unsure, visitor, guilty shame, these sort of things. Very good. Um, very good. And, and as you're sharing there, uh, you've gone straight to land yeah. and our interrelationship. In the coming weeks, I want to pick this theme up and talk about the, the challenges of us thinking like a Western construct of we're solitary human beings, we're individuals separate to the land and other people, we are our self-made islands. And mm. I think one of the ideas we want to prosecute is that actually we're all interconnected relationally from God's perspective. And that means we're also interconnected to his creation as well. Absolutely. And so I suspect that part of the way coming forward in all of this justice injustice issue, but particularly with Australian Indigenous people, is having some more understanding about our interconnectedness to the land yeah. and, and how we're in relationship to it as well is really critical yeah. as well. And that's a deeply theological perspective on, on who we are as God's creation embedded in, in creation. It's very good. Now, yeah. if people want to go a little bit deeper with this, Peter, if they want to go offline, uh, there's some. I just wonder if there might be some things that that you might be able to offer people to explore. You know, maybe just in particular this very idea of land and connection to it. Ooh, okay. So, uh, if, if we want to do that, we might come back to you. Yeah, great. Um, yeah. In in the weeks ahead, because there might be some people. So, if you're listening right now and you think, oh, I would actually like to, I'm just putting Peter on the spot here because he doesn't know this. But if you want to dig in deeper to that, then then why don't we go ahead and and have an an ongoing conversation? We're going to listen to someone right now. Um, yep. And she's going to talk to us um, about what we might do as responses uh, to these things. If if we want to listen and then respond in in a productive way, um, who is the the person, Peter? Yes, this is um, Pastor Sandra Dumas. She'll introduce herself on the video. Um, I work with um, Sandra in the leadership development program. She's 
Uh, she's one of the course elders with, with oversight. Um, uh, and uh, it'd just love you to hear what, how she frames up what um, injustice looks like and some really tangible, simple things that we can, we can be doing uh, as a community to begin to address what we've just talked about. Fantastic. Peter, it's been great having you here with us this morning. Thank you. Great way to kick off the series, uh, talking about voices rise up in this particular theme of justice, injustice. Why don't we have a listen to Arnie Sandra right now? Hey, everyone. My name's Sandra Dumas. I come from a place called Tweed Heads. My birthplace is Fingal Head, which is on um, Kujumbara country. That's my people um, under the Bundjalung Nation. Um, beautiful place up here. Um, like I've said it many a times and Peter laughed, but uh, it's God's country. It's one of the best places um, in Australia. I, I imagine you'd, you'd bump into a whole bunch of people who, who kind of ask that question. What's this Aboriginal thing all about? What, what's going on? Is there injustice? I think nowadays it's a little bit more in the spotlight, um, but, but the church folk probably still don't see it um, from our eyes. And the gap is still quite huge, everything from from death to incarceration, to employment, to housing, you name it, there's such a, uh, a, a huge gap. And the stories of heartache, of trauma, of what our um, grandparents went through um, today, they're still relevant today um, and there's still hurts been happening today. Um, so when you talk about that, you wonder why it's still there. A lot of our churches don't know um, that Indigenous people still suffer today. And then a lot of people only see where people are, are getting quite frustrated and, and angry and only see see that and then go, oh, it's just them angry blackfellas again, you know, like, but there's a reason behind. For instance, you know, black deaths in custody, like when you lock up um, Aboriginal women for just getting a fine and then they die in prison, this is not right. This is not justice. In Western Australia and Northern Territory, um, a young Indigenous person as young as 10 can be locked up with adults. They're put in jail with the big boys. And that is not right. You know, for a 10-year-old boy who pinched a packet of bickies from the shop to be placed in prison, this is, this is injustice. But if we just sit silently in the background and aren't being informed, aren't delving into the issues in our nation... Um, we, we, we can become quite ignorant. True reconciliation has not come yet. And, and I believe it's our responsibility as the church to stop, to have a look at why, and to start to be um, the answer through Jesus um, to our communities who are broken and hurt. Well, what would you say to people going, oh, look, what do I actually do about it? Okay. For churches, I would say um, one of the best ways to get involved is your NAIDOC week. All over our nation, um, Indigenous Australians celebrate NAIDOC week. Um, you can serve at the community events. There's a number of ways, but you've just got to open the door for dialogue to happen, make contact with your Indigenous organisations in your community and get involved. Um, so it's our celebration, yep, but it's your celebration as well. We're Australians together. This should be a time of um, where we, we come together and we celebrate our nation together. How do you suggest people do their own learning? The place where you live um, has a story, has 
a history. Why the name of that? It, it sounds kind of Aboriginal, maybe. It probably is. And it probably means something significant about the area that you live in. So it's up to each and every one of us to find out the stories of where we live. And in doing that, you are recognising, again, the Aboriginal people that lived in the area before you and me. If white fellas are out there doing their own learning about place, country and story, what, what difference does it make? I think it develops a respect for the people, for the land you're on. It builds bridges. It builds reconciliation. Um, it's the start of a great journey of ownership that this is the country that we're on um, is our country. I think there's such a respect that happens there um, on that learning journey. Um, and, yeah, it just it creates relationship, yeah. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Sandra. So good, so good to listen to the stories that are being told and perhaps what we're listening to and being shaped by this morning. You know, read the first two stories in the Bible and you'll find that there's this narrative about the relationship, partnership between God and human beings. It says that they're made in his image, which is the ground, the foundation, the bedrock of people being treated with dignity and respect and fairness. And it seems to run through those first two stories as a narrative. It's kind of the foundation. Someone once said that the difference between animals and humans is that animals don't blush. <laughs> so it seems as though those first humans were wired to continue on creating God's creation, bringing order to it, his beauty, his wisdom, his life. But then jump very quickly to the third story and the whole thing sort of dismantles very quickly. Instead of wanting to determine right and wrong according to God's compass, human beings do it themselves. And the, the, the story opens up very quickly, most decisively, that it's the very basis then for the sense of unfairness or inequality or the injustice that exists and is in the world. In fact, this particular disease, if you like, this desire to call the shots ourselves and not according to God's way, is not just in individuals, but it takes up in families and communities and entire nations. In fact, it's the very basis, if you like, that runs throughout that we feel and experience every day of the week. I mean, didn't you wake up during this week and hear the news that a few hundred people were allowed to attend a horse race, but only 10 people could attend a funeral? And didn't that make many of us angry? Didn't we feel this sense of injustice and say, wait a second, that is, that's just not fair. And so the Bible very quickly frames up this picture of that there's the haves and the have-nots. There's fewer of the haves and they usually have the resource and the power and they exploit the have-nots to get what they want. And then history continues to repeat itself that even when the, the have-nots rise up and start to exert their own power, they just repeat the same narrative over and over again. It's at this moment God could just wipe his hands and walk away, but he doesn't. The story goes on and says that God calls out one man, his name's Abram. And he says, through you, your family's going to be great and it's going to form into a nation. And I want you to practice these two things. I want you to be distinctive and practice these two things, Zedekah and Mishpat. What is that? Righteousness and justice. You see, righteousness is more than just being morally upright. It actually has to do fundamentally with the relationships that you tend and care for around about you. And mishpat, justice, 
Well, it seems like there's two different kinds. There's the retributive justice, which is kind of like if you borrowed your next door neighbor's lawnmower and whilst you were mowing your lawn, you damaged it, you wouldn't just hand it back to him and turn a blind eye and hope he wouldn't see it, but rather you go and actually get it repaired so you give it back to him just in the same condition in which he gave it to you. That's the lesser part of justice that sort of runs through a thread throughout the Bible. But the other kind of the mishpat is actually got to do with restorative justice. This is what the, the writers, the authors of the Bible continue to refer to. They say words like this, Proverbs 31. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Or perhaps in the prophets, Jeremiah 22 says, Thus says the Lord, do justice, there's the word, mishpat, and righteousness, zedekah, and deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor. Or perhaps the psalmist, who describes what God's like, he says, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. So what's justice? Justice is a radical way of life that seeks to work for the welfare of all, particularly the most vulnerable in our society. You see, restorative justice doesn't just acknowledge that there's the haves and the haves nots. It's kind of this radical way. It's this higher way where someone becomes an advocate for the have nots so that they have the same opportunities, that they have the same safeties, that they have the same resources as everyone else. You see, justice, it's where the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant and the indigenous don't have to worry about their safety. They don't have to worry about a level playing field because it's been established. They don't have to worry that they're missing out because they're a lesser. They're on the margins. It's because they're being pulled in. We all have the same dignity, respect, fairness attributed to us. That's what justice is, restorative justice, and it seeks it out. So there's a story where someone comes to Jesus and they, the person says, what's the greatest commands? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And the person, it says, goes on to justify himself and he asks the question, well, who is my neighbor? And rightly so, Jesus could have returned in reply with another question to the effect of, and why are you asking that question in the first place? <laughs> because Jesus anticipated and knew that what the person was trying to do is, is establish who is outside of the boundaries, who is outside of the markers that I do not have to, if you like, practice love towards. Well, Jesus tells this story where the most despised person in this man's eyes, a Samaritan, becomes the hero. And it totally shatters and dismantles his idea of boundary setting about who can I exclude from my love and who's excluded from God's love. In fact, it's so challenging that the person goes away pretty much in a whimper because he's just shattered all the boundaries. You should love everyone in exactly the same way. There's no one who's excluded from the restorative justice and love of God. Four weeks ago, I was at Milk and Wine, which is the cafe just across the road. There's a, a family um, <laughs> humorous thing that goes on uh, that we talk about in, in our family. And it goes like this. The Arnott side is the mercy side and the Robertson side, which is half of me, is the justice side. This plays itself out in all different kinds of way in our family. 
I was over at Milk and Wine and I heard uh, a conversation that started to get a bit rowdy. I looked across and there was a man standing in front of a woman. There was two children just beside her. And there was another guy who got involved and started saying things like, hey, mate, you can't speak like that. You can't talk like that. Stop it. And I couldn't help it. I just went across and started to listen. And what I discovered very quickly is that they knew each other, the, the man and the woman. You see, the man was the, the woman's husband. And he'd had a restraining order put on him. And he'd been living with his uh, mum in a local place. And it seems as though this had been handover day where he was going to spend time with his kids. But the only problem was is that he came and he arrived drunk. And so rightly so, the mum said, I'm not going to hand the kids over to you. And so he started to abuse her in front of all these other people gathered outside the community. You could see the kids, they were starting to cry. I mean, this just was a kind of an escalating, sort of uncomfortable situation. So uh, I stepped in with the other guy. And the guy said to him, look, mate, if you don't leave her alone and if you keep this up, they'll call the police and you'll be put in jail. And eventually the other guy left and I was there with the guy. And we said to the lady, look, just, just go, this, this mother. And she mouthed thank you to us and then just started to move away. I was left standing with this guy. And uh, I said to him, what are you going to do? Look, I'll tell you what, how about I drive you to where you need to go? How are you going to get to where you need to go? And he said, I'll catch a bus. It didn't kind of run straight with me. So I said, no, no, how about I go and get my car? I'll come and pick you up and I'll drive you to where you need to be. He goes, no, 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 just, I'll just stay here. And I thought, this doesn't sound right. And then uh, he said, who are you? And I said, actually, I'm a minister of a church. He goes, oh, yeah. I said, tell you what, can I pray for you? And so right there, we, we paused and I prayed for him, asked that God would break into his life. <laughs> and then as soon as I stopped praying, he looked up at me and he said, can I have your phone? I said, what for? He says, I want to call my wife because I'm going around to our house. <laughs> and so he started to walk off. And I'm left standing there thinking, what do I do? So I bump in, I walk across, and I find two ladies who are actually sitting just around the corner that I know. And it so happens that one of the ladies, her husband, works in domestic violence with policing. So we call him, and then he, called, you know, he has a conversation. She relays back to me, call the police. So I did. Called the police, and then I just waited for them to call me, and I described the situation. The woman hadn't gone home. She'd gone down to the creek. Those two ladies had caught up with her afterwards to find out that she was okay. But I described the situation, and I said, you know, you might need to attend to this. You see, why would I do that? Why would I get involved in those kinds of things? Well, it's because of this. Over the years as I've read Jesus, he's read me. And he's had to shift and change some of my attitudes about the people around about me so that I fundamentally now don't see other people as being disconnected from me. I see them as being interrelated and completely connected like they are my brothers and sisters. And I know the power of bullies. I've experienced it in my own life. And so there's times in situations like that where I, I just get angry and I feel I need to do something. You see, for justice to be real, the restorative kind of justice that I'm talking about, the one that Bible talks about, he says it has to move past this idea of just us. We have to fundamentally make a shift in our own minds and our hearts deep within that justice the restorative kind that God talks about calls us to a higher place, to a higher level, to a higher way. It's actually costly, it's complex, it requires courage, and I don't have all the answers for it, but I know that there are moments in my life when I am confronted with those situations that I have this anger that rises up with me, and I just want to call it a loving kind of anger because I can't see a man stand in front of a woman like that a mother and the kids, and for that to just go belly up, there's something in me that says, 
This is unjust, unfair, and human beings should treat one another with the dignity that they deserve and him. And so I think what the Bible calls us to do is actually see justice as being something that God followers have actually made the radical shift in their lives to embrace this understanding that we are all interconnected, that we, if you like, God's loving kindness and his restorative justice reaches out to all. And so every morning when I wake up, I have to make the shift again in my mind. To whom will I display God's love and his restorative justice today? Will it be just the people I know or others around about me? If you walk down that path, it will be inconvenient. It will be complex. You require courage. And sometimes it's easy to fall into cynicism. But it's the right thing to do. And one day God's going to put it to right. So right now we're going to listen to a song and I'd invite you just as we... We finish up this morning to pause because all of this would be for naught. If you don't pause and open your posture right now, I don't invite you just where you are to close your eyes, open your hands and allow this song to soak into you. And would you pray one thing? God, have I made the shift? That life is not just about me, but your justice extends to all people. And I need to fundamentally make that shift because when you do, it changes everything. And it's the heart of new community being mercy givers and justice bringers. Because it's the right thing to do and it's the God thing to do. So I dare you right now, pause and open your heart and hear the voice of God. Mm -hmm.